Hello and welcome back to Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I always say I use these podcasts to fill in the gaping holes in my knowledge about just about everything, but that has never been more true than it is for this edition. We're going to talk about Spectrum. It turns out that isn't an international criminal conspiracy to take over the world, but an invisible good over which some of South Africa's biggest and richest companies are fighting. But why? I know that Spectrum is the thing that delivers voice and data to my phone and to my laptop. I presume it's where television comes from too, but are there radio waves in there as well, or is that something else? Is Spectrum just digital or also analog? Anyway, President Saul Ramaphosa has been promising to make more Spectrum available to whoever, forever, it seems. Various communications ministers have failed to deliver it, and it has something to do with the fact that the ANC, long before Ramaphosa became president, began planning to meet an international deadline to move all television NSA from analog to digital. Needless to say, it's way behind schedule uh, with that program. But Ramaphosa promises us that releasing Spectrum will be one of the most important economic reforms ever. It will immediately spur more growth. So why doesn't it happen? Because the communications regulator released extra Spectrum at the beginning of COVID, so people working from home could have the tools to keep the economy going. School kids too. That was supposed to be temporary. Now ICASA wants the spectrum back, mainly from the big phone companies ahead of an auction in March or April next year that could raise close to 10 billion rand for the government. That's an auction of spectrum. The big phone companies, however, don't want to give their temporary allocation back, arguing partly that COVID isn't over yet and less loudly, probably, because they uh, doubt that the promised auction will ever happen. Why give up something you've got and you need? To help me make sense of all of this is one of my favorite people, Michael Jordan, former ridiculously young CEO of FNB and an unstoppable entrepreneurial force in South Africa. He started Rain, the mobile data company. He launched a cryptocurrency fund recently that had you put your life savings into at the start, you might never have to work again. He started a virtual bank, Bank Zero, which promises not to charge you any fees. And I know for a fact that the Bartonet wines he makes are really seriously good. Pay attention to Michael Jordan. He has the Midas touch, and he's a nice guy along with it, as you'll find out now. So, Michael, thank you for joining me. Um, you're still in rain, and from what I can see, you guys support the Akasa decision to recall the temporary spectrum and oppose attempts by both Telcom and MTN uh, to go to court in order to have the uh, temporary allocation extended. Uh, Peter, thank you for that most wonderful introduction, which really does remind <laughs> me that we should have a glass of good red wine again in future when, when all of this lockdown COVID nonsense is over. Um, Yes, we find ourselves in vehement disagreement with both the Minister of Communication um, as well as ICASA. And, and the two viewpoints are as follows. The Minister says um, this shouldn't all and always be settled in court. Um, why can't we come together and find an arrangement that is suitable for competition and suited for the country? So we welcome that and we would applaud the minister and government getting involved and sorting this mess out. 
And we also find ourselves in agreement with the regulator. Um, the regulator said that the spectrum was made available in good faith um, for immediate use in the short term. And that was 20 months ago. And much has happened in those 20 months. The world has changed. In South Africa, the infections are now lower. The economy is opening up. The vaccinations are improving. And there are serious risks um, if this temporary spectrum is allocated on a permanent basis because it was never done in a proper process. It was never meant to be so long because it distorts competition. Now, we at Grain, we're one of the small guys, and we would like the spectrum auction to go ahead. Many reasons for that. The one is... Uh, we think government would earn about 8 billion rands, at least, from selling the auction. Secondly, once the spectrum is permanently in an operator's hands, then you have the confidence to invest in the infrastructure to make the network really work. And this is maybe the key thing for South Africa, Peter, is if we have access to more spectrum and there is a data dividend in South Africa, is data is faster and cheaper, the economy can grow. Um, I recently saw in the first round results that they estimate that would add at least another 0.5% to the country's GDP per year. Now, that's massive, another half a percent of GDP growth. So, so what we're basically saying is don't hog the spectrum that was allocated to you in good faith in the short term. Um, free it up again so that the spectrum can go ahead. But, Michael, presumably the, the MTN and Telcom have particularly uh, have taken um, – uh, ICASA to court, um, they are probably um, probably quite wary of what might happen next should they lose what they've been allocated because the government um, is unreliable on many of the promises that it has made about reforms and, uh, um, you know, setting itself deadlines for things to happen. Um, you know, it's suddenly... Instead of selling SAA, it's flying SAA again and, and incurring all sorts of debt and strikes and God knows what. So, I mean, if you were if you were MTN or Telcom, you'd be doing the same sort of thing, surely. I, I suppose um, Henry Kissinger um, had it right when many years ago he said, you mustn't look at countries and think that they act according to principles because countries globally act according to their interests. Um, and I suppose you could argue that that is the same thing that sometimes people try and business world try and put forward something that seems to be a principled argument, but is uh, much more cynically driven by their own interests. And I suppose if you apply that argument, you know, you should uh, be critical about, uh, you know, what I'm espousing here as well today, you know, that you can't just abuse principles because it suits you. However, in this case, the principles are very clear. Do not hog something in the short term because then you can't invest in it. Don't hog it. Rather put all your efforts in a clear long-term solution, which is a spectrum auction by which spectrum is allocated on a pro-competitive, pro-consumer basis. Now, that is what we're standing for. We're the small party, no. uh, the party that you refer to no. as one of you know the big giants. Um, and sure. that we arguing is not in the best pro-competitive outcome of what this country needs. So we need more spectrum. We do that, that, on that, we all um, agreed. Where does, um, it, where does it come from, Michael? Where does spectrum come from? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the, the way <laughs> I see it. <laughs> also, as a relative newcomer to, to this industry, it's radio frequency, as you correctly pointed out. It's any form of communication that happens if you want in the sky without wires. So whether it's AM or FM or TV, all of this needs spectrum. 
But it is super important for mobile phones, and it is super important for the new economy, for 4G and 5G. Super fast data is what the world of tomorrow will be built upon. So it is the lifeblood of the modern economy. And it comes from science, and science is getting better and better. 5G, for example, is 10 to 100 times faster than, than, than 4G is, and people are already working on, on 6G. But when it comes to 5G, for example, you can either have a 5G connection that is mobile and wireless or fiber. I mean, there are, there are many aspects of fiber and 5G that are quite similar. So this is what the contestation is about. Everybody wants access to the spectrum. But importantly, you need to know that you've got it for the long term. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to incur the massive capital investment that is needed so that South Africans can enjoy the digital dividend. It's interesting, though, because it's a, it's a, if, it's, if it's policy that the spectrum is, is in fact, auctioned off um, next year, um, that's, pretty, that's a pr- pretty good position for the government to have taken. And a good thing that Sir Ramaphosa has decided to do, he's just got to make it, he's just obviously got to make it happen. Presumably, his minister, his new minister of communications, Kambuzo Nshaveni, um, uh, uh, w- would be would be judged as having succeeded or not succeeded in her job by whether she gets this thing sorted out and done. And 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 that's why we are in full agreement. We really are saying let the auction go ahead. It's been a very very long time since South Africa last had an auction of high demand spectrum. We're way behind in world deadlines for digital migration, for example, which would open up um, the spectrum so it can be used. So all the efforts now shouldn't be on squatting, not just holding this temporary spectrum. And Peter, in most cases, um, the spectrum is not even being used productively because it doesn't make sense to invest in the radio equipment behind it if you know you're not going to have it forever. So we say stop the digital squatting. Let all the focus be on the, the auction actually happening. Right now, it's scheduled for March 2022. But we have players in the industry that are suing the regulator on both counts. They're saying, don't take back our temporary spectrum and don't hold the auction. Now, that is a very undesirable situation because, as I say, it's not pro-competitive. You know, the big players that have all the spectrum are squatting on on this temporary spectrum. But it's also not pro-consumer. It stops small companies like Rain that are you know, making unlimited data offers at very affordable prices available from acquiring more spectrum and acquiring more customers in South Africa. Let me just read to you from an editorial in Business Day the other day, last um, uh, last week, which ended with or, um, the comment saying, we are fully behind uh, Telcom and MTN's court application to compel ICASA to continue making temporary spectrum available. The impact of taking away the additional spectrum while the country is still in the middle of a health crisis that could plunge it into harsher uh, restrictions in the next few months will be compounded by the government's tardy process in allocating permanent spectrum. It makes little sense to expect mobile operators to meet surging demand for data when they have had to make do and repurpose bands historically used for voice calls because no spectrum has been allocated for more than a decade. So business day, I'm afraid there is not, um, well, it's standing with it's standing with the big guys. Yes, so um, we contest that, and we contest that uh, not based on our own facts, 
But in fact, by reading the affidavits that these big telcos have, have given to court, and in those affidavits, one of the big players is, um, says scientifically that 1.3% of their 4G sites will become congested if they have to give back this temporary spectrum. Now, 1.4% is not massive. It's certainly something that can be yeah. handled. And in fact, there's a solution. It's called spectrum pooling. Spectrum pooling is when um, operators can actually share their spectrum. It's a far more efficient use of spectrum. It's something which has been allowed in terms of the Disaster Act. And in fact, it's something that we say should be continued uh, from now on permanently. That is one of the answers to the spectrum crisis in South Africa. And were there to be yeah. such a meeting convened by the Minister of Communications, that will certainly be one of our proposals that we think uh, should be acceptable. Um, so don't squat on um, spectrum that cannot be used, but do allow for the pooling of spectrum, and that will resolve uh, any type of uh, high demand crisis that the small and the big players will have. But in any event, focus the attention on the correct long-term solution, which is a properly conducted spectrum auction, not one that was meant to be bona fide, temporary, and for immediate yeah. relief. Do you, do, are you confident, uh, Michael, that, that, that the auction will go ahead if this is resolved? Um, Peter, we really hope so. We are fully behind the auction for the reasons I said earlier. It's 8 billion rands or possibly more that you know government coffers need. Um, once it goes ahead and there's, you, know, you have the security of the auction, there will be massive investments. And actually, one of the CEOs of you know, one of the big competitors had said that there will be a significant drop in data prices. So all of that is very good. We like the endeavors of ECASA, the regulator, to do so. We know that it is government policy. I suppose what we fear here is um, what our competitors seem to be doing is um, go going to for litigation and frustrating the process uh, of, of something that is so incredibly important. So um, we hope it will go ahead. We are through our actions, our legal actions now also supporting ICASA so that it goes ahead. But there's a very real risk that if this temporary spectrum isn't released, that the process will be frustrated because there will be no reason for the large telcos to then let go of the spectrum. And it really puts even us in our competitive position at, at risk. Yeah. Just explain to me, Michael, what it is about, um, about spectrum, not only that's valuable, but let's assume that it is released. There is more spectrum released. And I did ask where it was where it, the spectrum that's going to be released, where is it, where is it now? Because obviously you can't create new spectrum. It just is there, right? Um, but explain to me how the economic growth occurs from an auction of spectrum. What happens? How does it, how is it better? So, so, um, so spectrum is this wonderful, these lanes in the sky, and when you, when you say that you're allowed to drive there, drive your car, drive your data there, um, what telcos typically do is they will invest the infrastructure to make that possible, you know, put out a radio network and the tower is typically backed by fiber. Um, by releasing more spectrum, it is sometimes even possible to use your existing infrastructure. So if it is in the right bands, um, you can just press a button or make a software change and without any additional infrastructure, you can use it. Or when it is completely new bands that your existing equipment can't support, you have to invest in doing so. Either way, you make the data become far more abundant. And abundant data 
is the lifeblood of the entire new world economy that's being built. Nearly every single innovation in the world, from AI to 3D printing to the Internet of Things, is built on abundant data. So you have more data, it's faster data, and I think maybe most importantly for South Africa, cheaper data, so it becomes more affordable. Now, what the World Bank has shown is that for every 10% increase in broadband penetration in a country, the economy grows by 1.4%. That is because there are a whole range of activities that can be more efficiently done um, using the internet, whether it's education or entertainment or commerce. Um, so this is a worldwide uncontested statistic. Um, in, in South Africa, we've got 24 million people who use the internet through their cell phones, but we have 60 million South Africans. So there's ample room to get more people hooked up onto the internet and start using the internet it can be their small businesses, it can be schools, um, it can be for, for uh, fun. I, I mean, that's a very valid economic activity as well. So that's where the economic growth will come from, from building businesses uh, on data and on access to the internet. And uh, Peter, I, I want to say this kind of um, finally, that I think access to the internet has nearly become the human right of our era. I mean, you can argue that food and water is a human right, but I believe if you don't have access to the internet, you really don't have access to a first world existence. You're relegated to be in the third world. And that's why it's so crucially important that uh, the data dividend is brought to South Africa and that the spectrum auction then continues. Do you, do you is it your impression that the, that the larger companies, the MTNs, the Vodacoms, the Telcoms, also see spectrum and data in the future in the same way? I mean, are they simply holding on to what they've got now because they're worried about not getting it back in an auction? Uh, no. I, I, look, I do think the guys see spectrum in the same way. Everybody wants spectrum. I mean, everybody realizes it's the lifeblood of telecommunication companies. Um, and I suppose if you ask them economically, you know, each of them would like to have as much of it as possible and keep as much of it as possible. So there are very real competitive issues at play here. Um, I, I, I think our, our basic point here is just that spectrum can be allocated by the regulator and, and in doing so achieve many different things. And we're saying that one should ideally do it in a way that stimulates competition, that's pro-competitive and do it in a way that is clear that it's going to benefit the consumer. And we think that more competition is better for the consumer. Now, as a small player, we just want to make sure that that process by which it is allocated is a proper process. And the spectrum does that. The temporary allocation, we just go back to that time in April last year, we were all panicking in the country. We didn't know where this COVID thing was going to go. The process itself was opaque. It was rushed, it was done, but it was done in good faith, and it was certainly done saying it was going to be temporary. And that's all we're saying is unwind that process and put in place a proper process where you apply your mind so that you're sure that competition is strengthened and that the consumer benefits. What In the next couple of weeks, because this has got to happen quickly now, it, you have until, or the big companies have until the end of November to either... Uh, hold on to the spectrum that they've been temporarily allocated or or, or not um, does the minister is there a is there a mediation um, happening is the who who you talk who are you able to talk to other than lawyers and <laughs> well I, I suppose companies need to be careful to be talking to each other because um, also, also of, of competition um, law sure. considerations. So my sense is, and I'm, I'm just a director of the company, so I'm not directly yeah. involved, that right now a lot of this is happening through lawyers and, you know, lots of 
papers are right. being written and, and submitted to the court. But we've read in the paper that the minister intends convening all the players. Um, I'm told by the team that the phone hasn't rung yet, but I, I hope yeah. it will be ringing pretty soon. And that there will then be such a forum where this thing can be resolved on a principled basis that is also good for the country. That remains our hope. But um, in this case, it feels good to be aligned with a yeah. sound position by government as well well as the regulator. And, and we do hope that sense will prevail. Michael, you, um, just stepping away from it for a moment, I mean, you, you've got a lot of skin in the game, as it were, in, in South Africa. I mean, all you know, I don't know what you do overseas, but but I mean, it's, what you do here is pretty impressive. Are you are you comfortable with where you are as an investor in South Africa? How do you? Peter, I mean, I like you. I'm I'm passionate about this country. I I love the country and its people. Um, I like to um, see many of the problems as potential um, business solutions. So if you can build a sustainable business solution around something, um, that's wonderful. That doesn't mean I'm not blind to you know some of the many mistakes that have been made, and I'm also not kind of blind to many things that could happen so that we can grow at a 5% growth rate. So I'm, I'm not arguing that. But if you say data prices are too high in South Africa, I think that there are private sector startup solutions that can fix it. Rain is an example of that. If you tell me that bank fees in South Africa are significantly too high, well, it's wonderful that new technology now enables uh, a startup like Bank Zero to say, well, why pay bank fees at all? Um, and, and so I can carry on with the businesses that I get involved. I, I, I get a real kick out of something that solves it on a business basis because then I know it's sustainable as well. It doesn't require charity. Having said all of that, there are, of course, many strategic initiatives that can only really come from government that can strengthen growth. Um, and, you know, without saying too much about our previous topic, this is su such one. If the Spectrum auction goes ahead as planned, um, that will definitely help to uh, lead to more economic growth. On a broader sense, I also do see that happening um, with the discussions around privatizing SAA. I've heard discussions about maybe um, private partnerships with the ports authorities in South Africa. Um, I would just hope as an impatient businessman that we do more of those things and we do it much faster because the economy really needs it. Yeah. And if you were making an investment case uh, to a foreigner, somebody maybe visiting now that um, uh, now that it is, is easier to visit South Africa for uh, for um, foreign visitors, how would you make the investment case? What does it look like? Why why would you why would you encourage anybody to spend their money here? So, so I, I think if you talk economically, I see three major sectors of growth in the future. The one is tourism. And that is because we have a beautiful country and we have incredibly friendly people. Um, we have the infrastructure, we have great airports, we have Ubers and Airbnbs. So we have massive capacity for more um, tourism and we are affordable. So it could be tourism. The second one would be mining and precious metals. Uh, it's very clear that even if there's a high-tech future, let's say self-driving uh, but electric cars, that they require certain mineral resources that we have. Um, so I, I think the, the precious uh, minerals boom isn't just a short-term one. No. And, and I suppose the final one is actually large-scale agriculture. Um, and the nice thing about that agriculture, it has a lot of labor creation potential. Now, based on those three economies, I think that there will be a whole lot of second-order effects, um, such as the data revolution that we're speaking about. Now, if I had to advise someone else out there, I would probably say that you need to get involved on the 
more on the venture capital side of all of these things. I, I really think that all the exciting things are happening kind of in the startup space where you are creating completely new industries, uh, maybe rather than investing in some of the kind of more old world style of companies. Yeah. That's where I find myself. So I am speaking my book here. Um, yeah. I, I, I need to disclose that. that. But, but, I, but I, I, I do see disproportionately high growth opportunities that are not in the first instance predicated on the GDP growth, but on a new way of seeing the world and, and seeing the future. And in that sense, I find South Africa incredibly interesting. There is freedom to start these type of businesses. There are skills available because you don't need large teams. You need small teams that are, that are highly competent. And I can only tell you that it gives me a huge amount of excitement uh, to do these things, to start a new bank, to start a new data network. Um, it, 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 it's a wonderful feeling. That would be my advice, not only to foreigners, but to a whole lot of senior executives out there that, you know, maybe have their capital invested on the JSC. Do something yeah. productive with it. Do something with some of these energetic young entrepreneurs. You will have fun. You may have some great investments and you will make the economy better. It's interesting, you know, because the three things you mentioned, tourism, mining and agriculture are easily the three biggest sectors in our economy or productive sectors. Obviously, financial services are, are large, but they are exports. I mean, ex tourism is an export. It's the easiest of all of them. You just sit here and mm. people bring you their hard currency without you having to deliver anything. Um, mining is obviously an export. And um, and so is agriculture. I mean, we're the second biggest citrus producer in the world now. Uh, it's quite it's quite extraordinary. Correct. Um, Correct. Citrus has done in incredibly well. People have, you know, kind of slowly but surely, um, it, it's gone up there. Uh, if you speak to the producers, they will say that it's key that we get the railways and port infrastructure uh, much improved. Yes. You know, we've gone down the yeah. world rankings to do that. So it, it's another example of why we need, you know, business and government to work together. But it's but there's still much more land in South Africa that can be used for for agriculture. And, and I Absolutely. just want to re reinforce the point, Peter, about how labor-intensive that is. And it's labor-intensive for relatively low skills, which is what we have. Um, so, yeah, yeah if, if we get it right in agriculture, we could still boom. Well, absolutely, you know, and it, as you say, it's it's getting the, it's either getting the minerals out of the ground and onto a ship, or getting the fruit off the trees and getting it onto a ship. As long as you export, I cannot understand. I'm sorry, I don't want to draw you into my other things, but you know why we have not set our face to to the world and said we are going to export the hell out of you um, or to you, um, and instead we've turned sort of our back on it, you know, and we're trying to do everything internally in ourselves, and it seems such a sort of defensive thing to do when the invitation um, exists to be expensive yeah. and brave. I, I, I would um, say there are two positives if you want. The one is that our currency allows for those things. Our currency is not overvalued. Therefore, we can export in those two sectors and bring tourists in. Um, we, we definitely are competitive. The second one, and slightly more longer term one, is the African free trade area. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we, we sometimes speak of Africa as we not as if we're not in it, we are part of Africa and, you know, geography is going to be our destiny here. And the abolition yeah. of all those borders will benefit South Africa in many ways. Certainly um, anything that's produced, um, physically produced or, or agricultural, we now have a continent of over a billion people uh, to which we can export that. So um, there are still many uh, kind of non-tariff barriers to get this right. But but that is, is um, you know, one of the other things that gives me real hope. It's a long, it's a long, it's it's a long walk, and of course, you know what we need to understand is that uh, 
you know, the Africa free trade or the Africa continental free trade area is also, we're the biggest market in there. Um, and everybody in Africa and the rest of Africa is going to be wanting to export to us. And I wonder how well we'll take that when, was, when those goods land on our shores. Well, you see, the thing there is that means our consumers will benefit again. And, and this is uh, actually what, you know, Adam Smith wrote about and Ricardo wrote yeah. about, you know, about comparative advantages. And it, yeah. It's um, one of the few things that economists in the world agree on today is the ben- are the benefits of free trade. Now, that yeah. doesn't mean that there aren't sectoral winners and losers. But overall, um, it, if the entire world were to disengage in free trade, the entire world economy would be close to 10% higher. This is an interesting thing. I worry that we I worry that we're trying to step out of it. You know, and it's no coincidence, Michael, that Adam Smith, who you mentioned, you know what his job was in real life? He was a customs officer. <laughs> so he could see he could see what the benefits of of free trade were. <laughs> Michael Jordan, what a absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm really grateful for your time. We, uh, I love it. We should do it more often. And as a, it can be in a podcast or, as I said at the outset, over a glass of red wine as well. It's done. Uh, it's up to me to make that uh, happen, and I will. And uh, thank you, the listeners, for joining us. I'll be back next week with another fascinating guest, and I hope you'll join me then as well. Bye-bye for now. And even though we're on level one or whatever, take care, keep your distance, and see you next week. Bye-bye.